Hello, I'm Justin Boyd. Hello, I love milk. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brittany Pacheco. Um, that was freaky, George, but I'm Frank Cooper. <laughs> uh, yeah, the milk bit. Pretty creepy. Uh, and I'm Nathan Hale, and we are the Watchers in the Basement. Yes, we are. We're the Watchers in the Basement. And uh, welcome back to another fun-filled episode of the Watchers in the Basement. We are going to talk to you today about the latest episode of the Amazon Prime series, The Boys. Before we do that, I'm going to throw it to my good friend, Brittany Pacheco, and talk to, have her talk about how you can not only watch this podcast like you're doing right now, hopefully, but how you can also listen to it. Brittany, take it away. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, thanks to Anchor.fm. We're huge fans of Anchor, so thanks a lot, Anchor. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating because that would help us out a lot. And although we are a small podcast, we're a proud one. You can also follow The Watchers in the Basement on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can like our latest video podcast and hit that notification bell so you can be the first to find out the latest upload from us. And to help grow our audience, don't forget to use hashtag WatchersBasement when sharing our podcast. Hey, thanks, Brittany. So uh, guys, let's get to it. Let's get to the, the, the episode this week we're talking about. It is... Season two, episode six of the boys. The title of the episode is The Bloody Doors Off, which I don't know if y'all notice this, but the titles are they don't really have a whole lot to do with the episode, I don't feel like. You know what I mean? Like No, they don't, but they do have to do with the comics. Okay. Yeah, so they correspond with the issues. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I'll read the show description. This is from Amazon. Also, the Amazon descriptions, like they're they're well written and they're they're i mean it's, it's good stuff but it doesn't really tell you a whole lot about the episode so here we go the bloody doors off the sage grove huh, the sage grove center is dedicated to caring for those struggling with mental illness our compassionate doctors and counselors provide per personalized services to help patients live their best life if you or a loved one need help please call the sage grove center today at 1-800-122-8585 uh, Sage Grove Center is a proud subsidiary of Global Wellness Services, which is a proud subsidiary, man, subsidiary is tough to say, a proud subsidiary of Vought International. So there we go, guys. Okay, so, I I've got a quick question. I've just got to interject. Yes. Um, did anyone call that number? Not no. it. I feel like, like that's a miss on our part. I'm just saying. I feel like that's a miss. Okay, I'll dial it now. <laughs> All right, let's do, let's do it right now live. Here we go. Down speaker. Yeah, we'll do. 8585. I wonder if we found an Easter egg. Your call cannot be completed. Dialed. No Please Easter check egg. the number and dial again. No. That's what we like to call bullshit. Well, okay. actually... After what happened in this episode, maybe they're not open. They're closed. Yeah, they're closed. Yeah. Probably for renovations, I bet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've got a lot of doors to replace. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe the bloody doors. So yeah. maybe the, the title does fit really well with the episode. That makes a lot of sense. So, so guys, let's get right to it. Um, I'm going to kind of go scene by scene the way we kind of old school way we used to do it. Um we get a lot of stuff about Frenchie in this episode, a lot of backstory. And the episode opens, and it's eight years ago. And Frenchie's with his friends. He's with Cherie and Jay, who we hadn't seen before, I don't believe. And he's talking about the greatnesses of the Golden Girls. So I'm going to quickly ask you all, did you watch the Golden Girls, or have you watched it? And if so, which one's your favorite Golden Girl? Oh. <laughs> Motherfucking Blanche, dog. <laughs> <laughs> bro, bar none, bro. It is a layup question. It's a layup question, but <laughs> like, what? nonetheless. Yeah. Um, I really haven't watched Golden Girls, but I would identify as uh, Betty White because she's gangster AF. And, I mean, for those who are watching, we're going to have a little guest here and there, furry little guest. This is Luna. She just turned one. She's my baby, and she makes a lot of noise. So sorry. Yep. George, 
I've Golden Girls? It. I've never seen it. So, oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm out of the loop on this one. That's unfortunate. Nathan, what about you? Uh, I think I saw it a few times back in the day. I don't really remember much about it. I do remember Blanche was... Uh, was pretty amusing. She seemed really yeah. like improper. Like is my is how I remember. Just uh, yeah. But I don't remember much about the show. Mister, what did you say? I said she's a whore because that's that's the character that she was. I mean, okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, in a good way. I don't have anything against <laughs> it at all. Now you know, the Golden Girls is one of those shows where. Like I was a kid and we only had three channels, so like we had NBC, ABC, CBS, and so like. Anything that was on primetime TV, like I saw it. So I was definitely a Golden Girls watcher when I was like eight or nine years old. And my favorite character probably was Betty White's character, Rose, because she was like this kind of naive podunk, uh, this naive person from like this podunk place like in Minnesota. And she always had these like weird stories, weird stuff. And I don't know, it's a good show. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's a classic show. It's a classic song. I mean, do y'all want to sing the song? It's the, it's the end of this episode. They sing the song. Yeah, no one wants to do. sing. Right. Missed opportunity. Um, so back to the boys. I know this is a train wreck of the episode, but we're just going to go with it. Um, we see Sherry and uh, is it Sherry? It's Sherry. Sherry, Sherry and Jay. Sherry. Yeah, and they're they're prepping for a bank robbery with uh, with um, our guy Frenchie. They're doing some drugs and stuff, and um, we hear about how, you know, Frenchie's like, um, he's he's dealt with a lot of soups in his day. He uh, he fought off a, a soup called Behemoth. He dealt with Cold Snap, Malchemical. I mean, to me, like, I don't think there were a whole lot of Easter eggs in this episode, but I think I think the mentioning of those other characters probably was for me. What, what did y'all think about this opening scene with Frenchie and his, his friends and this flashback and? I thought, going it, on? I thought it was cool to finally get a backstory on Frenchie. I think we we finally learned his real name, which is Serge. Serge. Right. How, how do you say that in French? Like, is there like a Serge? Serge. Serge. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just pretty cool to finally learn something about Frenchie and like a lot about his backstory, and we finally learned how uh, how he finally. Uh, let he he stopped watching uh Mallory's grandkids for uh like 30 minutes or whatever to go check on his friend and we finally found out that reason or it was kind of like his fault that they died yeah it was um he was supposed to follow lamplighter who we get a lot of lamplighter in this episode and um he he left for like he was following lamplighter at a party and he gets this call from Cherie that, hey, this Jay guy is overdosed and they need they need for a Frenchie to get there as soon as possible. So he has to leave uh, trailing uh, Lamplighter yeah. to, to get with his friend or see how his friend's doing. And uh, uh, Brittany, what do you think about that, that kind of plot point this episode? I mean, it seemed like in season one, it seemed like there was a really like good reason why Frenchie didn't stick with the plan because that was something that MM had issues with Frenchie. You know, I'm not going to work with Frenchie because he doesn't stick to the plan. And, you know, while Frenchie relates Cherie and Jay to that of the Golden Girls, like they're a family and and they're tight and what have you, I I understand the need to be there for your, your friends and family and whatnot, but it's like, how come Cherie couldn't take care of Jay in a way? Like if they all were kind of doing drugs, it's like, do you think they'd be familiar with trying to, you know, uh, I don't know what the right term is, but to to make sure that the guy doesn't OD or something like that. I don't know. It To me, it just wasn't like, shot. thank you. It just, to me personally, and maybe I'm just being really critical, it just didn't seem like a good enough reason because then at the end, when Frenchie is finally explaining the story to everyone, he says, uh, Jay lived, but I never saw him after that day. And then he died a few months later from an OD. So it was like, it was all for naught. You know what I mean? Well, there I, I personally kind of have to beg to differ to say that was all for naught. 
none of them are prescient. Like he couldn't have known at that time that a lamplighter was going to kill anyone. He was just simply following him. And B, he did what didn't know that, you know, saving his friend three months later, he's going to die of an overdose. Like those are things that one could not know. They could guess maybe, but they certainly wouldn't know. So I think that's why in that scene, I really appreciated we learned that. And then you hear mother's milk mm's telling them you know like well, like why didn't you tell us we'd let you off the hook because they understood that they they are they're their own the boys are their own kind of family their own golden shower girls in this case probably and i can really see and and understand why they would forgive that situation because they'll they'll throw themselves out and they will in a moment's heartbeat as we see in this very episode a uh, little foreshadowing here of where we're going with what happens uh, with Huey and Butch is saying, screw them. They're on their own. We got to help him. So while they bail on the rest of the boys, it's an understandable for them because a single life of any one of them is worth worth more than anything else. So I, I really kind of liked that scene in particular. Nathan, you took the words right out of my mouth um, in, 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 in the response to why Frenchie left. Um, and I, I bring, I get your point, or like with Sheree, he's in calm police or going to the hospital. But at the yeah. end of the day, it, it's it's easy to be rational in a state of like of like fear and and just being scared. And 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 the way the way that she was she was she called friends, she was pleading to him. I don't think that was the first time that one of them OD. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like you know when, when you're a drug addict, it's it's easy. We overdose and it's easy to fall into that trap of addiction. And a lot of times we have other drug addicts around you, aka enablers. That's what they do. You know what I'm saying? And, and that and that was that's Frenchie's little family with Sheree and, and, and old buddy. So I, I get why he left. Like and and I, I love how the show, like Nathan said, did the example of like with Huey, Starlight, and Butcher, how Butcher led the situation regarding the, 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 the hospital. So it's like when it comes to friends and and people needing help, you you gonna drop you drop everything at drop of a hat for for your friends and family. Yeah, no, I I get that. It's just I guess because the the sense of time is kind of lost in the show. It's like how long would it would it take Frenchie to get from point A to point B? And you know, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. It's, I, I will say, Brittany, uh, in defense of your your ire over that situation, I, um, like I agree. Like I I thought the same thing at first. Like why? Why didn't she just do it? She's right there. Um, but then the way they, they showed her, I kind of got the impression that, and it would make sense since she was with him, he OD, they were probably both using it at that time. And she probably didn't trust herself to do it correctly. Uh, is, is my guess there, but it's, it's a good observation all the same. Um, and, and, and worth questioning. I think you could tell like, Frenchie's kind of a fixer for a lot of things, you know, like I, I, I kind of agree with Brittany's point, but now that y'all mentioned that, I understand what you're saying. Cause you know, it takes us to the next part of the episode where Frenchie is uh, removing uh starlight's chip from her shoulder. And I don't know about y'all, but that chip, that's a pretty good sized chip inside of someone like that's a, uh, you know, Vought used that to track her down or whatever. And um, yeah, even, I wonder, go ahead. But even to just, use whatever little mini saw it was to to get through her skin it's like you know with with these soups it seems like they're they're virtually indestructible to some degree mm -hmm. because it looked like Frenchie was struggling to you know break through her skin and it might might not be like diamond or whatever like translucence was but still it's it's like it kind of made you sweat a little bit well it's interesting with this show and that's a good point you don't really, I don't know who, which of the soups are indestructible. You know what I mean? Like, because, yeah. you know, in this episode, you see Butcher, he, he gunned down uh, one of the test subjects from the Sage Grove person, three shots to the chest, the guy's dead. And, you know, Starlight, he was going to shoot her with the same gun, you know, in season one. And I, I just don't, I guess I, they don't really explain like their powers like we know that superman you can't shoot superman with a gun it has to be like a kryptonite gun and i i assume homelander is the same way you can't just shoot him with a gun but other soups they shoot with guns and it's like i feel like lamplighter you could shoot him with a gun you know like he has he has the power to you know 
use his lighter and you know project fire but so so like when you look at uh comic books in general uh comic book heroes typically what i found is those who are have super strength of some sort tend to in the comics also be somewhat invulnerable and it likely has to do with the fact that you'd have to have increased bone density your skin would have to be tougher in order to withstand the stress of lifting that much weight it has always been the the logic i guess behind why the super strong are also super tough even spider-man who's not as tough as say superman but he's still able to take a lot more of a beating than a normal person because he's kind of stronger but not to the level of say superman so I think that's kind of how they they justify, if you will, the logic yeah. behind that in superheroes, if you could call it logic. Um, right. I mean, I, I guess like I don't expect them to like say, okay, this one you can shoot, this one you can't, this one you have to hit with, you know, splash them with water or something. You know, like I I don't think they're gonna like, give us like a game plan of how to kill these superheroes, but I would like to know a little bit better of like who can be you know who can be killed and how they can be killed, or just more of a broad sense, I guess. So speaking of someone who is not indestructible is the thief, presumed thief, in the alleyway where Homelander and Stormfront encounter. And so, um, George, you want to talk about this scene? That was was so... That guy was basically, like, begging for his life, just just like, hey, man, like, just send me to jail. Like, it's okay. And then... They start making out, and Maeve starts like grabbing his junk in front of him, and it just got very weird from there. And she's like, he presses uh, his head against the wall while he's grabbing. It was very disgusting, and his brain just explodes. At the same time that he explodes, probably. I'm kidding. (laughs) Frank, did this kind of give you like? Jamie, not Jamie, but Cersei Lannister kind of vibes when she, you know, she, she leaves Septa Unella to, to the mountain and, you know, goes and like does things with her twin brother, Jamie. I mean, it was, it was like, it was a turn on. Uh, I was thinking of a different Game of Thrones scene. It, to me, it was synonymous when, when Joffrey when Joffrey died and they're in they're in the uh the Septa Baylor and Jamie and like Jamie's tearing up that sister pussy all over uh Joffrey's uh, corpse. That's what it reminded me of. It was deranged, it was crazy, it was hot, it was sick. That's what I got from watching the Homelander scene. Like he was, it like, was hot. <laughs> he was like plowing this Nazi, this Nazi lover right next to a caved in body uh, of somebody's head. Like I was like, bro, this is magnificent TV. Like I've never seen a show go this far left. I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was, cause it really, it really explained the demented nature of their relationship, right? That one scene signified how sick those two individuals are and how they're, they're singly made for each other. It was, it was, it was excellent. I loved it. And, and I think to that point, uh, just so we can kind of keep going through this this episode, where you see the dynamic of Stormfront and Homelander, because she, because you know Homelander squished this guy's head with his glove, right? So that means he's got blood all over his glove. Well, they're you know that while they're you know s- you know screwing around or whatever, they're like putting their fingers in each other's mouths, and you have the blood all. It was just gross. It was crazy. But then in the next scene where you see Butcher and Kimiko are watching an interview with Homelander and Stormfront, you know, they're just, oh, oh, ha, 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 you know, oh, she's the biggest prankster. And, and you can see her kind of touching his thigh and he's kind of like, like, you know, stop that kind of thing. And, and Butcher's like, they're fucking. And it's like, yep. It's crazy. Right. And and Kimiko, like the look she gives, like the nod she gives is is so awesome. Like, I mean, obviously she doesn't speak anything, but she's such a great, that uh, Karen Fukuhara, she's such a great actress, like with her expression, like her face and just the the way she reacts to stuff is, it's really, it's a really great part of the show. Absolutely. She seems to have developed more, like her character obviously has developed a lot more and um, I love that they've given her a lot more personality to shine through uh, this this season. Um, so, yeah, like be- while we're talking about Kimiko, uh, the boys are visited by by Starlight, 
who, you know, as we just previously mentioned, her chip's been taken out. So she's completely safe, I guess, in a way uh, to be amongst them without, you know, hopefully bringing any harm. And Butcher is just really like an asshole to her, you know? I mean, Nathan, like, it goes without saying Butcher's really got it in for soups. Like he, he just doesn't like soups whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so the moment she shows up there, um, you know, you have a moment of tension there in their, their hideout as Kimiko kind of faces off with starlight and then the tension's broken as she rushes in for the hug, like kindred spirit here. And, and then it's immediately juxtaposed by butcher's reaction of, Oh great. What the hell are you doing here? Uh, and it was, I, I enjoyed the contrast of the moment because it made you, it gave you another piece of how Kimiko has felt because she's felt isolated in some ways because she understands enough of butchers uh well just straight up uh prejudice against soups and she's a soup so that moment that kindred bond was there for that moment uh, kind of like reinforced how much how bigoted he is towards soups um and that she's had to deal with that um and you know of course butcher being butcher he uses uh his his typical bossy manner to demand that, you know, she now join them because she can be chum in the water as she tells them about, uh, this, uh, grove, a safe grove. What? I can't remember what it's called now. The, uh, the asylum sage grove, sage, sage grove. Um, so she informs them that there's something going on there. So now they have a lead and butchers like, cool, you're coming along. Wait, what? And it's really just cause he wants to throw her under the bus or as he puts it, be chum in the water when hunting sharks. Uh, because if they get caught, they're going to be more worried about uh, her than them. Uh, being that she's the billion-dollar baby of Vought, if you will, as he puts it. Um, so very, very cool scene and how uh, we see a dynamic there. And we see a little more, actually, of Kimiko than we, at face value, you might realize. Uh, butcher's butcher and we know where his stance is and the same could be said for starlight but that moment for me that that hug was the most uh poignant moment of that scene i agree wholeheartedly you know i think butcher though he's too tough on starlight in this air in this part because like at this point like she's on their team she's the one who revealed to msnbc or cnn or whoever about the compound v so like you know she's on the she's on the team so, I mean, she, she has superpowers. So, like, why not take advantage of that and embrace her? Because obviously, she hates Vaught as much or more than he does. You know, one word, Huey. As we learned last episode, I think he is Butcher's canary, right. and we've seen in previous in season one how he feels about a relationship with a soup and how that can be very bad for you in a, in a health point of view. So I see that as almost like an overprotective brother, not happy about a relationship that they feel is uh, unhealthy. So I, that's kind of why I feel that way. Cause with obviously with Kimiko, he's kind of moved past that. And maybe it's just, he needs more proximity and time around them. As we see later in this episode, there's a, grudging respect beginning to grow there from butcher um but we'll get to that a little later so frank i wanted to talk about another chum in the water and that's the deep um homeboy you know he's part of the church of the collective he was visited by queen mave in the previous episode who basically says you know if you want back in the seven you're gonna need a woman to back you up and basically say you're not a piece of shit you think i'm a piece of shit yeah you are so um, this next scene opens with a Brave Mave Pride Bar commercial. Thoughts go. <laughs> so, do you want, you want to break down the scene? Of, of oh, just just tell me what you thought about the whole like Brave Mave Pride I, commercial. I mean, she was outed by Homelander, and yeah. now marketing is trying to make a big deal about it. I'm starting. I'm starting to think that Vault's PR department isn't that good. 
Like, um, <laughs> sounds strangely like, familiar. Yeah, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say any names, but uh, <coughs> but um, uh, yeah. So when Homelander outing her a couple episodes before, it's like this is this is Vought scrambling trying to like make spin this negative to a positive, but it looks more negative with them trying to spin this. And the Pride Ball commercial was just like, not only is it corny, you are basically making a caricature of 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 Maeve and and I I think it's a weak attempt to trying to trying to you know create inclusion with the LGBTQ community but yeah. I, it was all bad but um because Frank you can't be proud on an empty stomach <laughs> that, that was horrible what was equally horrible was uh was deep the deep walking in right to that commercial and like basically saying, you know, because I, I, you know, in that scene, like maybe is trying to find information, trying to find evidence of, from the from the plane wreckage from season one, and uh, and Deep finds Deep, uh, you know, with with his, you know, his school of guppies and halibuts, and he, they they find like this. Um, There's some rowdy boys. I think it's so cute. I'm sorry. I, I I have to take a quick second. Like, I like him better than Aquaman. I'm sorry. Like the, oh, the connection yeah. man has with dolphins. And and fishes and it, I think it's adorable, and he you know, has a real intimate connection with the sea. It gives him like an adult, real intimate. <laughs> it gives him like an adult Walt Disney vibe with like his connection with animals. Like it's it's kind of dope, but uh, but I digress. So he he finds like this camcorder deal, like this I don't know, like a selfie stick with a camera on it, and like and he lets Maeve know, like you know what, this is what I, this is all that we found. I, I'm gonna keep looking. Not sh- I'm not even sure if it works, but um, but May basically tells him like, okay, well, I'll take this, but not worth to anybody, or, or you won't get into the seven. So, um, so I, I think the show did a great job of like drawing that scene from last season and still connecting the dots of trying of of Maeve trying to get out of the situation with with Homelander and and you know her, her love. So, yeah, that's that's very well put. Um... <laughs> and so we're back on on this set, of course, for Dawn of the Seven, right? And A Train is with Ashley. Woo woo! <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. George, A Train <laughs> is getting a freaking lit anthem. <laughs> I heard that song. It was it was god awful. <laughs> I just want to go back to deep real quick because I thought it was hilarious. I, I forgot what he called his, uh, his. I think he called the vicious his associates or something like that. It's like, yeah, one of my associates found found something in the current or something. I'm, yeah, he did. He did. I, I thought that was so funny. And then, and then the, they look at him, and I think Mae looks at him. It's like, it's like, you're talking about the fishes. They're like, like, what are you talking about? Uh, but that was funny. And another funny part was when he he ran into A Train. The deep ran into A Train, and he offered him a fresca, of course. What's and- in the fresca? That's what I want to know. I don't know. Yes, thank you. You know, and I've really wondered, like, just just a quick aside on that one thing. Is there literally something in there? And there may be, like, this is Vod, it's pseudo sci-fi being superhero stuff. So there could literally be something in the fresca. But even if there's not, it is very much analogous with drinking the Kool-Aid. And that's their Kool-Aid. Like, if you fall in with the group, you're drinking the Kool-Aid. So either way, it works. Uh, so even if it does have something, they're still literally drinking the Kool-Aid, which was analogous, which goes back to Ken Kesey and the Kool-Aid acid tests and the bus back in the 60s that was Kool-Aid spiked with LSD. So, yeah, they're literally drinking the Kool-Aid. And I am wondering if this Fresca Kool-Aid is spiked. Speaking of that, Justin, how's your, um, how's your Fresca? <clears throat> you know, I don't have... Fresca today. I have. I'm back on the Lacroix train. I'm a Lacroix boy again. <laughs> it's hard to see. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Hold it in front of your your body. It'll it'll show up. Yeah. There you go. There see, we, we go, gotta you gotta know this stuff when we're doing sponsorships, guys. That's true. Yeah. That's true. No, I, I've never had Fresca, but uh, I don't know if it's it's the show's kind of making me want to try it, honestly. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Is it still even in production? Oh, it's not the show. It's the Church of the Collective that's trying to get you, Justin. <laughs> very religious. That's that's very, very true. Yeah, I can't wait. Very. No, we were talking about this earlier. Um, Fresca is actually um, a Coca-Cola product, I believe. So it's. I don't know if it's still being manufactured, but I mean, it's a legit product for, for sure. So. 
Yeah, but uh, the deep is actually trying to <clears throat> help out A Train, who, like I said, he's getting his own anthem. Ashley says it's just lit, and he's like, "Yeah, it's it's dope, all right." And you know, did all you that guys kind of did you guys see a kind of parallel between the anthem and the pride bar, Maeve's pride bar? Like there, there's definitely seemed to be a parallel between those two things. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So yeah. Um, now, but the, the boys are on their way to Sage Grove Center in, in Pennsylvania, and Kimiko's kind of got a kind of a cool <laughs> pair of brass knuckles that she bought with her quote-unquote blood money, as Frenchie put it. Um, <laughs> and again, this, this shows how much personality Kimiko now is exhibiting at this point. And because Frenchie says something sly to her, oh, this is what you bought with your blood money. And what does she do? She holds up her 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 brass knuckles and kisses it, or not kisses it, but blows on it, and just kind of, you know, dust off your your shoulder or whatever. And she's basically saying "fuck you," you know. <laughs> so I thought it was great. Yeah, and it says "bossy." Did you mention that it says "bossy" on it? I'm not sure if I did, but yeah, bossy. Yeah, so it's, I thought that was kind of funny. And then and the uh, the brass knucks come into play later in the episode. We'll get there in a second, though. Um, so let's let's get back on the Homelander Stormfront uh, storyline. So Homeland, Home, Homelander is like desperate to get Stormfront to come into his uh, his trailer on the set, and uh, she turns him down. Says so she has a she has a meeting with her social media guys at the tower at Vaught Tower. And uh, we find out that instead she's uh, going to Sage Grove uh, Center to check on the uh, test subjects. But I think it's funny how Homelander reacts. He's, you know, he's definitely like he's 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 smitten with her. He, I, I think so. And and he's um, he desperately wants her attention. And she's, you know, she kind of acts like she doesn't care. And so he had flowers ready for her in her tra- in his trailer. And uh, he goes into his trailer and he gets, I guess he gets so mad that she's not there that he lights his trailer on fire. And later on, you know, they show that like they have the, the fire trucks and everything and they're putting out the fire. Hold on, hold on him. though, Justin, there was a little card on the, on the thing of roses that were shaped in a heart. Okay. Who writes, thanks for a great day. X O your name. Like who writes that? <laughs> I said that for a couple of girls. Lou Reed does. Frank, is is that all you, bro? I don't send flowers. No, I I, I send something else a little bit more <laughs> friendly. So I'll, I'll I'll leave it I'll leave it to that. Um, uh, edible arrangements. It's edible, all right. It's I guess I guess I guess you can call it an arrangement. I mean, that's that's fine. I mean, so there's it's often... edible. What are we talking about? <laughs> so like, there, takes a while. Takes a while to kick in. <laughs> there, there's often a, a lot of references to songs and the like in the show and the reason I mentioned Lou Reed is there's a song by Lou Reed and I'm trying to remember the exact lyrics and the name of the song at the moment uh, but it's basically thank you for a great day is is uh, um, thank you for a beautiful day or something like that and this guy goes through this series of things of this day and then towards the end I, and this could be just me and my interpretation but it always seemed to get kind of dark towards the end like maybe this was a date with the guy from you. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional on their part or not. Probably not. But I, I, all, at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily put it past them either. Unfortunately, you is a Netflix property. So oh, no, no, no. no pro- I'm not, I'm not saying. Crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, oh, I, right, I got right. you. I got you. Well, I got you. But, you know, we can always hope because maybe it'll get bought up. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I hope the Jeff Bezos gets you. richer. Yeah. The new series coming. Oh, <laughs> so we got a new series. A little aside, are you guys excited about the coming new series, the spinoff? I feel like it's a little bit too early. Like I feel like you should let the the boys kind of play out more before you already plan a spinoff. Like I, I think that's like The Witcher's doing that too, and I'm like, The Witcher's not even like good. You know, at least The Boys is good. The Witcher is the Witcher is kind of like homeless version of uh, Game of Thrones, and the fact that they're already getting a spinoff too is just—it's strange. It's like a let's pump the brakes. Let's, I still enjoyed that show. What's that? Yeah, I still enjoyed that show. I thought The Witcher was good. I liked it. It was—it was very slow burn. Yeah. Very very slow burn. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, 
once it got to like episode three, then it was like, oh, okay, this became very, very interesting. So yeah, but we're getting we're getting off topic. Let's bring it back to the boys. Uh, let's talk about how Starlight helps out Frenchie, Kimiko, and MM get into the Sage Grove. Um, through using her powers, she's able to bypass the presumably electric fence, and they're able to get in. But you know, Butcher's got got a gun on her, and and it almost looked like he was about to pull that trigger because he did uh, click off the safety. And then it was like a sense of, you know, realization that I guess came over him. And he's like, no, I better not do this. And then, you know, whatever. But talking like what we said earlier about how he kind of, I mean, obviously he has an issue with soups, but he's okay with Kimiko, but not okay with Starlight. And Starlight calls him out on it, which I I loved. I loved how um, she she said, you know what? this this is long overdue you know what is your problem with me you just can't stand me because of what's in my blood and and in a weird way the way that butcher and starlight kind of bicker and huey's all like guys you know stop this i feel like it's in relation to those who are children of divorced parents in in a way now i don't know this for a fact but it's just something that you see you know played out in the tv shows movies what have you and you know huey's just stuck in the middle because obviously he, he does love Starlight, but he also really cares about uh, Butcher, and they both care for him. So what, what do y'all think about that whole dynamic? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> the um, dynamic between between Butcher and Starlight and Huey? And Huey? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, yeah, like, like Nathan said, the, I think Nathan said this, the, the, the big brother mentality that that uh that butcher has like he doesn't show much love and towards Huey but you can tell that he loves he loves Huey but I feel like it's conditionally only only based on like what Huey does like his hate for, his hate for soups um really resonates um and precedes any type of intimate relationship he has with anybody and I think the final nail in the coffin when um is it Becca is that his wife's name yeah when Becca rejected him because he wouldn't accept her child, I think that was the nail in the coffin as far as like his hate for soups. Like the one, the one woman that I, I actually love to care about would not would not be with me because of my because I can't accept her son. And I think that resonates with every other soup around. And and I think with Kamiko is he's such he's so outnumbered um, in, in in the in how the whole Kamiko situation because you know mother's milk. Frenchie and Huey all vouch for, for Kamiko and, and they know that, you know, Kamiko could be a higher gun for them. Like she's, she's something, she's a soup and they need that. They need that power on their side. And it is it, the, it's so interesting that he hates soup so much that he will, he will, he would turn, he would turn back help from a soup just, just cause he hates him so much. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. And like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm really conflicted with Butcher because like he's, on one hand, he screams, he screams, you know, teamwork and Spice Girls, and we need to work together. But on the other hand, it's only like that if Soup's not involved, and it, you can't have it both ways. You have to, have, you have to have one or the other. But um, you know, I hope that you know, as the show goes on, that you know, his love for Huey will supersede his hate for Soup's. But right now, I think Soup's are thinking his hate for Soup's is, is leading that that charge. I don't know if I answered your question. I'm I'm just rambling right now. <laughs> <laughs> Rambling is good. That's we just have to have conversation. <laughs> so but, one, yeah. one thing I, I'm just like w while you're talking there, it made me realize something, uh, Frank. Um, but is it what one maybe two episodes now we've not seen or heard from Becca or Homelander's kid, mm -hmm. and of course I think it's a direct cor correlation to. And correct me if you guys think uh, I'm wrong on this, but in direct correlation to, he's found someone else to become infatuated with. Homelander has. So he's spending more time with Stormfront and thereby not as worried about seeing his son having this surrogate wife, if you will, in the form of Becca. Um, so I'm sure Becca's probably really appreciating Stormfront about now. What do you guys think? I think he's a drop. I think he's a deadbeat dad now. Like, damn, one minute you want to be in your son's life, the next minute, um, mommy's being mean to me, so I don't want to be part of my son's life. Like, come on, you coward. I'll never sit to his face, by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> He'd laser you, right? Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I think that um, if you've seen what happens in the the episode that comes out this week, um, Homeland, Homelander, and Homefront or Stormfront, they visit uh, Becca and Ryan. So uh, Ryan's not out of his mind just yet, but uh, you know, it's, it's it's more about how we don't really know the time frame where the show is happening. You know, it, maybe it's months ago they last saw the kid, or maybe it's like yesterday. You know, I, you just I don't ever, think it's been more than a couple weeks. I would. Yeah, probably think. a couple weeks. I'm sure they're happy they haven't seen him, but unfortunately they're going to see him some more. So, because the kid has powers and he knows the kid has powers and that's what it's all about. And, you know, the, not to spoil later, but like Stormfront's looking for superpowered people to kind of join her army. And that kid seems like he'd be a perfect uh, draft pick. So, mm-hmm. yep. So, what's going on in this asylum anyway? You know, it feels oh. like to me there's like an X Men kind of vibe to it, don't y'all think so? There's there's sort of an X Men kind of deal to it, and it's that's kind of apropos because one of the uh, X Men actors is a uh, lamplighter. Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, working in this Sage Grove Center, and as he explains, um, that he's basically there to clean up the mess. What Vaught is doing with Sage Grove is they're testing Compound V on these patients. And they've, they've learned from the testing is that infants handle compound V the best. So you give an infant compound V, the, the person grows up and has powers and, you know, is super powerful. You give it to an adult or like a teenage person and it's hit or miss. You might get a freak, you might get a soup, or you might get someone who just literally or explodes. Or a super freak. See, this super is freak, yeah. Freak, yeah. But Justin, this is what I don't understand about, about, about Vaal and this Latin, this shade shade shady homes oh, shady grove sage grove whatever it's called yeah so you know for a fact that it's a crab shoot when you inject a, a grown-ass human man or woman with this compound v it could be homelander it could be a guy with a 75 inch long dick we don't we don't know <laughs> like and i'm only saying that because you know support it actually it happens. actually does yeah, it happens, yeah. right yeah so sorry ma'am so if you're vault and you know that it's a crab shoot and that you're probably you're probably just wasting compound V on a, a grown ass human being because you don't know what you're gonna get. Why not just stick with the original plan and just create infants that you've been doing, like Homelander, like all these other superheroes? I like, got this one. I got this one. Like the safest route. I mean, is it is Frank, it less cost effective? Frank, Frank yeah. let me ask you this. Gotcha. How much would you personally pay for a serum that would turn you into a superhero without? negative side effects of possible death or anything like that. What would you pay? What would, what would anyone pay? They want to increase their market to the world and everyone in the world. So their, their bottom line is money. Well, they may be darker intentions. We don't clearly know yet, but even if there aren't, if money's the bottom line, think about how much money they could ask for. You could turn anyone to a super when you got to consider the supers in this world are seen as the biggest pop stars, the biggest biggest athletes, like they're the top game. What would you pay to become the the top name if you follow? So that's I mean, what look, I I'm, think they're they're going I, at. I will. I'll and, drop my Disney Plus. I'll drop Disney Plus and go for it. Like that twelve ninety nine or five nine, whatever I'm paying, I'll pay for it. But I don't think it's t- I don't think it's money. I think it's time. Like they want. Like you give it to an infant, you have to wait till they're. 16, 17, 18 years old for it to come to kind of fruition. Whereas not true. They're because looking, remember, remember Deep said he was about nine years old when he started noticing his powers come through. That might have been when he got the shot or they got the V injected. No, right? I don't, I don't think, we don't, I don't know that so. no? it, it okay. takes some um, but I mean I, I don't know if it's there's there's again not a real science around compound V that we've seen yet. But I think they're looking but, to build a super army super fast. And I'll let and, Frank go ahead and say what he got what he's got to say. And, and, and that's what I was going to say about uh, Justin. That's that's a good point. I don't think it's about money. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of our, of our of our analyzation, but like, in my opinion, it's not really, you're not super if everybody else, if the whole, if damn near the whole word super, then what's what's so special about you then? If everybody else has the same, same abilities, uh, uncanny abilities, then it's not going to be much of a money grab. It, it's, who who that's, said that's it's going to be affordable? They could put huh? a billion dollar price tag on it. And you got your elite one percent who now made themselves into superheroes. Yeah, but you create okay. If I if I'm a billionaire and I buy if I buy super serum from the compound V, 
then how can Bart control me then? I'm not, I'm no longer about property. I'm on my own. And if you're Zuckerberg or, or, you know, all these other billionaires, you're, you, you basically give them the power to, 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 to be, you know, to corrupt this world even, even more. Bart can't control everybody. I'm sorry. It's going to be impossible. Yeah. You're rich. Yeah. You'll make money off of it. But at the same time, you're, you're probably creating a nuclear warfare that, Hitler, uh, Hitler undreamt. <laughs> you know what well, I'm saying? Like, well, that argument would work both ways, though, because if you make a super army, how are they going to control a super army? You create you know chaos. I mean? That's my whole point. Like, you're, you are creating chaos. And I think the Sage Groves uh, example is what happens when shit goes left. Like, I mean, I, I know we haven't got too far ahead, but like, if two superheroes go rogue and it turns into 10, 15, 20, 100 superheroes go rogue, you're creating a shitstorm. Well, I don't uh, again, like like I said before, I went into the money. I I believe there is an, a darker ulterior motive to bot, which we just haven't had revealed. But you were asking why would they do this mm-hmm. with just the information we have. That's why I was saying money straight away has been their bottom line up until now. Everything's been about money, so mm-hmm. uh, that could be justification enough to do it. But I I agree. I think there's a much darker, more sinister. I mean, they wouldn't have made the originator Vought a Nazi if they weren't going to have a darker intention than that. We just haven't had that revealed yet. Um, yeah. But the but we need to move on to actually what's going on in the asylum at this point. So talking yeah. about a dark kind of sinister character we we encounter a subject that goes by the name of cindy who has some extreme powers i mean incredibly extreme powers when the boys recognize lamplighter and vice versa uh they get into an altercation where lamplighter basically with his you know fire fire pyrotechnic powers sorry um blasts open cindy's door and she comes out and she's got this very very kind of low-key kind of person persona but she is wicked powerful and nathan when we first watched this the first episode of of the season with rainer and mm-hmm. how rainer's head exploded it was very reminiscent of yeah. what cindy's powers were because she literally has her hand out and she and she clenches him like this and whoever she's you know using that towards just splat yeah, this power has been seen before, but not in comics that I'm aware of. And that's the, I squish your head. I squish you. I squish you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, so she, yeah. she's incredibly powerful, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And and so because of this power, she is able to uh, release the rest of the subjects and they go crazy killing everyone in in the facility it's a lockdown and so um george huey and the and starlight and and butcher are watching this from afar right and so talk us through what happens next when butcher and starlight encounter one of the subjects outside so once well basically they they let everyone out my question is that how like how do they keep track of these like their powers and how do they like keep them in control you know because she literally opened all of the doors with her powers right like right after right after she opened all of them she let everybody out why the hell i think the medication i think they're saying there's certain medication they can take that slows them down right i think so yeah i didn't catch that i was so confused i was like why the hell didn't she just do that the whole time but they're they're slowing them down basically. It's I think they're using like uh what's it called propofol? Propofol. Okay. Yeah, the that's, stuff that killed Michael Jackson. Yeah, so, but about. but to George's concern over that, I, I'm still I'm still with you on that, George, because because literally the doors come down and she's using her powers and other guys floating out of there. Yeah. Uh, one guy was in there vomiting acid on his bed as we saw through a camera. Another guy's punching through wall or punching into walls. I, I'm like, I still didn't see, I still couldn't see how they could have kept these people contained unless there was, and, and because of that video footage we saw, I would have said like, well, maybe there's some weird sound wave or something that's in the rooms and is able to dampen their powers, some weird thing like that. But they're literally, we're seeing them use their powers in their cells. And she literally had the power to go bye-bye door 
why couldn't acid guy maybe maybe you know acid guys doors acid proof or something i don't know but well, uh, so, I, I i was a little bothered by that as well so i want to i want to pose this to you all too before george goes and explains what happens with butcher and and everyone else you know how the one thing that homelander can't see through is zinc what if that's something that is within the compound view that maybe all of them are incapable of manipulating zinc or you know what i'm saying like afterwards so that it's not like she wasn't capable i just don't i, I don't know it was just confusing to me but I, how you explained it as slows it down that makes sense but i just want to know like how they controlled her to possibly kill a rainer in that first episode like how do you make them do that but uh, that's probably where she got the extra craft mac and cheese <laughs> Well, that's that I wonder that too, but it's like, was she always a subject? Well, I guess she had to have been the subject because they were injecting uh, compound V into. OK, so continue. Go ahead. And so that, that was my only concern of this episode, honestly, that, that bothered me. But so once they do that and she lets everybody out, all these uh, soups or the victims, whatever you want to call them, the test subjects, they, some of them are able to get out. And Huey, Starlight, and uh, Butcher are outside waiting. And they encounter this one guy. He's, he's pretty scared. He's just like, he's like, I don't want them to catch me again. And uh, I just want to get out. And then he, he, he explodes. He sets off like an EMP. Uh, I guess that's his power or something. He just sets an EMP off. And then Butcher shoots him like three times in the chest. And he just goes down super easy. And, uh, but once that happens apparently we we learned something new about uh starlight is that she can only use her power when there uh there's energy around her so she, something that she can take energy from and we we didn't know that before and we learned that this time and they just try to make a daring escape and by the time uh, they, they get to escape they notice that huey got injured with the because of the van and the explosion he has like some metal piece like stabbed inside of him and uh, they're just trying to get him to, to safety and save his life. Yeah, and in the process of trying to save his life, they uh, they have to take this guy's car. <laughs> and this, they take uh, more than his car. Take more, they did up taking his life, but, but uh, I mean, it's kind of his fault. He pulls a gun on these people and, you know, as he says, it's a uh, stand your ground state, and Butcher tells him, "You can stand wherever you want to. <laughs> I'm taking your car." So uh, Starlight, you know, tries to get in the middle of it, and she ends up killing the guy using her power. She's trying to, you know, it's hard to explain what she did because her powers, she has like the power of light, like the 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 uh, headlights of the car lit up, and then her eyes lit up, and then the guy goes flying. So. Um, like I said, I, I don't really understand the, all the powers, and I don't think we're really meant to. And like, does she like shock them, or like? I guess I so. Power really? It, it must be that. Okay. Um. But uh, you know, that's uh, that whole the whole escape from that Sage Grove is um, it's a pretty crazy. I mean, it's a big part of the episode. It's really like it really shows like kind of what this show does really well because you have you have these characters that are, you know, they're all on a team, but then they get separated and then they go on their own path to get away. And, you know, as we said, Huey, he's injured. So they take him to the hospital where, well, you know, the other boys, MM, Frenchie and uh, Kamiko, they're, and they're stuck in the hospital. Yeah. And Lamplighter who's with them. They're stuck in the hospital with Lamplighter and they're trying to, you know, make it to safety. And they end up in this, uh, this uh medical room that has all the the drugs i'm not sure what the, the term is but all the the pharmacy the I pharmacy say yeah in that scene it does beg it it, it it made me question the terminology and, and kind of gave a new meaning to the term choking it <laughs> oh man nathan so I let's get to it uh, let's nathan nathan basically threw it out there and so and so he loves sausage so we, we meet this character Earlier in the in the Sage Grove Center, we uh, they pan to this one uh, character. We're watching the uh, they're in the control room, and you can see the the cells of all these uh, test subjects. And this one guy just has a massive dick. Like it's, I mean, like it's like the size of his leg. Like he showed it to a horse, and the horse cried. Right, exactly. And so, <laughs> you know, whenever they showed that guy in the cell, and I was like, 
that's obviously crazy, but that's actually a character from the comics. I never thought the like I never thought we'd see that Dick in action, but we do. We do. We see it very much so in action as uh, the boys are, you know, they're barricaded in the pharmacy room and uh, all of a sudden uh, something comes bust through the window, wraps around MM's throat. He's getting choked by a giant dick. <laughs> and uh, you got to love how uh, Kamiko saves the day using her bossy brass knuckle hand ring, just decks the guy in the face, leaves the bossy indention across his forehead. And uh, as she lays him out and they get the, the dick off of uh, MM's throat, you get the refractory period, you know, like, and you see it go back, you know, into his pants and, uh, and MM's like, was that his dick? And then, you know, Frenchie's just like, you know, be, you know, yeah, be a little open-minded be so or whatever. Right. That was, I mean, this show is a show that shocks you literally every week, probably two or three times a week. That one right there, I did not see that coming. I don't want to see that coming. I don't, I don't want to see that coming. If you know what I'm it I was, think- uh, I mean, it was like a fire hose, you know, like, a giant fire hose. And you know when it first happened, I don't know about y'all, but did y'all know right away what it was? Oh, I, was yeah. I did not know until oh, like, yeah. until it like Justin, I am disappointed in you. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I I thought I didn't know the guy. I thought the guy was like dead or something. I had no clue. And then like whenever they kind of pan closer, you're like, oh, I see the veins and stuff. I see what we're talking about here. No, so. you you would see that one-eyed snake first, and then it's like, oh my God, that is a dick. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was a really I think you said it well. I mean, this this show shocks you and definitely pushes the limit and and pushes just everything what we deem to be not safe for TV. Definitely not safe for TV, but it's okay. Um, but one thing I do want to talk about really, really quickly with Lamplighter um, amongst the boys is that Mallory and the boys five years prior had invited Lamplighter to to kind of recruit him to work for them. And so that's really interesting to me because Mallory had like an iPad type deal and she's like, I guess, swiping pictures and like, you look good in these. So it's like, what dirt did Mallory have on lamplighter to get him to in in a way come out and and work for her which obviously didn't happen because he he intended to kill mallory the night that he went to her home which unfortunately was the night that her grandchildren were in i i guess her bed and that's how they died um so i'm really curious as to see what info what info do they have on Lamplighter? And then now it just seems that Lamplighter is just more than willing to kind of work with the boys because I guess he feels so guilty about what he's done, but then also how he, his powers are being used to burn evidence for Vought, right? It's a, yeah. it's an interesting storyline. I really, I'm really looking forward to learning more about and I, I'm with you, Brittany. I, I, I wish they, I hope they do. We do find out like what the blackmail is that Mallory had on Lamplighter. Um, because for to get him to work for them and to, you know, basically like Homelander, I mean, I mean Butcher tells Lamplighter, like, we want to know everything that's going on at the tower, especially with Homelander. You know, I want to know like what kind of power he had, you know, or, or what, what they have over him that, that makes them be able to control that superhero. And then the fact that, I mean, even though they had this power over him, he was going to try to kill her that night. So that whole part was kind of murky. I think that was intentional, obviously. So, um, Frank, since you're back with us, um, talk a little bit about Elena and Maeve's relationship now that Elena has stumbled upon the plane footage that Homelander and Maeve were, were called to back in season one. Um, from, from the initial scene when, uh, I mean, I guess to break down the scene. So she, uh, so Maeve, Maeve's in the shower and she, uh, she, so she's going, she's rummaging through stuff in the, um, in one of the, in one of the drawers and she finds that camcorder that, that deep found in, in the wreckage. So she, she plays it and it's a, it's a, it's a father. It's a guy, um, pretty much sending out his last, his, his last message. Cause you know, he's going to die. 
he's talking to his wife and he's he's basically he basically tells his wife like hey you know his plane's going down i don't think i'm gonna make it please tell the kids you know i love them and i love you and while she's watching that she just you know she's just distraught and right when the video ends Maeve comes out the shower and she uh she basically Maeve sees that you know alina has the the camera the camera uh stick thing in her hand and she basically pleads to Elena like hey you know you know, I wish I could have done more. You know, this was not my plan. I wanted to save those people. Homelander wasn't having this, but this is our way out. Like, I, I plan to leak this out to the media, but Homelander does not leave us alone. And while she's pleading to Atlanta, trying to t- trying to get her to see her perspective, Atlanta's distraught. Like, she's like, dude, like, over 120 some passengers just perished because of your decision. And I think she's, she, she doesn't, I mean, she's been telling Elena how, how big of a monster Homelander is, but I don't think she, I don't think she really understood until she saw that, that footage. And, um, and from that footage, you can tell that Maeve wanted to do more, but she was trapped. But I think Elena thinks that, damn, is my woman a, a monster too? Like, is my girl a monster as well? But you can clearly see in the video that she's trying to, she wants to do more, but she can't. And I think Elena is just processing right now. Like, oh my God, like Homelander is just crazy. Maybe yeah. wasn't being extra when she was saying that Homelander is it's a homosexual a homosexual uh, maniac. Yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think that scene really broke down what Homelander really is. I think Elena really understood that. Okay, she's not playing. Maybe yeah. for real about Homelander. So, so really quick, guys, because we do have to wrap um, really really soon. We have to get to the biggest news of of this episode, which we've already been talking about it. Um, other than the fact that uh, Lamplighter who was actually going to be killed by Mallory. Frenchie basically pled for his for his uh, life. But we learned that Stormfront is not only 101 years old, she is Mrs. Frederick Vaught, who is from uh, Berlin. She is very much uh, influenced by the Nazi Germany uh, point of view of how the other races were, uh, how can I say, we're, we're basically going to destroy whatever their you know view was on, on culture. So um, she basically pleads to Homelander that you, Homelander, are everything what Frederick and I had hoped for. You're, you're powerful. You know, everyone thinks basically the best of you. And you're going to lead us. You're going to lead this army of super supermen, millions strong. Um, because that is Vought's true destiny, which is to me is just mind blowing. George, your thoughts? Yeah. To, to find out that she's actually that old and that's been her plan since all along. And I, I think even, I don't know, do you think, do you guys think that Homelander was kind of like, just like shocked at that? Like, like what? Like, I, I don't know. I just, it seemed like he was kind of at a loss of words. Yeah, I, I agree. He did not. He, he had a weird kind of reaction because because she shows a picture of her daughter, and her daughter is like recently passed, was like ninety something years old or eighty years old or whatever. And he immediately asks her, "He's like, how old are you?" And she explains that she was born in nineteen nineteen. And it seems so, like he's kind of freaked out. But then, like the more she talks about how like you know the race, you know the other races are grinding us down, and we we need you to be the leader. And then he kind of kind of puffs his chest it looks like he's kind of down for that hey there's there's precedent here though he we've already seen from season one that he's got a thing for older women (laughs) this is true but in all seriousness i do i do want to pose this question to you guys and and maybe this is something we can pick up next episode because like i said we do need a wrap um the very fact that with nazi germany obviously their point of view was that uh aryan way of life was like the right way of life everyone else was threatening of course um and what it goes without saying stormfront is clearly very racist especially towards uh black people and the very fact that vaught right now is led by mr edgar who happens to be a black person how is that going to work out with stormfront leading you know this this charge of of overseeing what's going on at sage grove and she's working with Vought. Like, is she going to overthrow Vought? I think I think so, Britt. You're onto something because I thought the exact same thing. And I think 
that she's going to do that. That's why she's probably, I don't know. Well, but they, the emails that they have with Sage Grove, like Edgar was emailing her about that. But I think she's going to like betray him somehow or something. I don't the know. Coup? What if, what if those, exactly, what if it is a coup? What if the Sage Grove are her army that she is behind Vought's back developing to catch up because she can't wait for a gestation period of nine to 18 years for them to grow up? The that would make method. a lot of sense. But I feel like Edgar would know about the Sage Grove Center, right? He's got to be informed. I guess. It's not a matter of that, Justin. I think it's he has his intentions for Sage Grove, and she's going behind his back and using it for okay. her purposes. Okay. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, guys, uh, we gotta we gotta wrap. Um, I can't wait for tonight's episode of The Boys. I'm I'm just I'm so excited. I can't believe there's only two left. I yeah. Yeah, it comes like, out oh, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Comes out Thursday at midnight. No, really, it comes out like about 7.30 on Thursdays. That's what I've noticed. It does. Our time. Yeah, yeah, our time. 7.30 Central Time, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, so uh, that wraps up this week's episode, and we'll be back next week to talk about the seventh episode of the season two. Um, and uh, please don't forget to follow us on social media by searching The Watchers in the Basement. George, how can they uh, how can they find us on uh, on podcast services? So you can find us on any podcast network, Spotify, Spotify, Apple, uh, any any podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. You can search us just uh, watch us basement and go ahead and please leave us a five star rating. That would help us a lot. Help us get out and grow our audience to more people. Also, to share and we greatly appreciate that. And also, when you do share this, please be sure to use the hashtag WatchersBasement so that we can see all the awesome sharing of our content that you're doing. Yep. And we appreciate you doing that. So continue to use hashtag WatchersBasement. So uh, that's it. Thanks uh, thanks for, uh, for everybody, for Brittany, George, Frank, and Nathan. This is Justin signing off. We'll see you all next week. Peace. Bye-bye. Thank you.